Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We'll be practicing the rule of life, and it's to slow down by taking breath out and breath in and reading the devotional together to be on the same page to hear the Lord. Okay, so let's exhale first. Breathe out. And breathe in the presence of God and the words of God to nourish us. Focus your entire being on my living presence. I am most assuredly with you enveloping you in my love and peace. While you relax in my presence, I am molding your mind and cleansing your heart. I am recreating you into the one I designed you to be. As you move from stillness into the activities of your day, do not relinquish your attentiveness to me. If something troubles you, talk it over with me. If you get bored with what you're doing, fill the time with prayers and praise. When someone irritates you, don't let your thoughts linger on that person's faults. Gently nudge your mind back to me. Every moment is precious if you keep your focus on me. Any day can be a good day because my presence permeates all time. Amen? Please be seated. Good afternoon, everybody. So, um... When I was working in Manhattan, I worked with a number of characters, a number of interesting folks, and they always helped make the day go by a little bit more quickly with the way we all interacted with each other and, you know, broke chops and everything like that. And uh, two of them, uh, we're going to call them the Sarge and Miss Gal. Uh, They always had the same exact conversation in the beginning of July. Miss Gal would look at the Sarge and say, well, Sarge, Fourth of July is coming up. Next thing you know, summer's pretty much over. And the Sarge would say, Miss Gal, why do you always do this to me? The summer is not over yet. You need to let me enjoy this. I need to have my rest during the summer. And Miss Gal would go back and say, what? You know how time flies. It's the fourth of July today. Next thing you know, you're going to be doing your back to school shopping. Then it's going to be Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, you only got 170 days to get your shopping done. And then we're all going to be talking about New Year's. I'm dreading the text message that I get if they happen to see that because that was an absolutely horrible impersonation of them. But it's all good and fun. Just like the conversation was all good and fun. It's just in teasing. But At the same time, it does kind of hit, right? When we get to one stage of the summer, the next thing you know, the summer is over, and the next thing you know, it's into fall, and then here we are. It's the second week of November. Time just keeps moving along, and it's speeding along. Next week is Thanksgiving Potluck Sunday. Have you guys thought about what you're going to make for it? I want to give you guys a suggestion. Don't make a ham because Jeff's ham is better than everybody's else. So just think of something else. Thanksgiving is the week after that. So have you started making your plans? Who are you going to go see? Where are you going? Who are you bringing with you? What are you bringing to Thanksgiving? Or are you daring to host it yourself? Are you ready for your unexpected guests? Let's put these pictures up here. 
because you know that if you host it yourself, you're going to have a peppermint patty that's going to complain about the food that you brought. Uh, after that, we have Black Friday. So I hope you've got your uh, Christmas shopping list started. I hope you're getting ready for it. I hope you've got it all planned out. Like Miss Gal said, you only have 42 days of shopping left until Christmas, and you better make sure that you pay attention to those shipping times because an IOU is a terrible Christmas gift, right? What about Christmas decorations? Have you put those up yet? Are you one of those monsters that just puts your Christmas decorations up the day after Halloween? Or do you like to enjoy your turkey decorations before you put up the pine trees? Uh, what about Christmas? Did you get your Christmas cards done yet? Did you get the family portrait done? Are you mailing them out yet? For those of you that just welcomed a new bundle of joy this year, your baby's first Christmas card, that's very important. Have you taken them to see Santa? Have you gotten ready to take them to see Santa? Hopefully it does not end up like that. Um, am I making you guys nervous yet? Don't worry. You still have 49 days to figure out what your New Year's plans and your New Year's resolutions are. You guys get what I'm saying, right? I'm sorry to make you guys nervous. I'm sorry to put the pressure on you guys, but I do it to kind of like emphasize the point that we get overwhelmed with obligations and things to do. And the next thing that we have to take care of, especially during this time of the year when the holidays are upon us. And maybe it's even worse because maybe you're like me, maybe when everybody else is you know, happy about the holiday seasons, you're kind of struggling with that seasonal affective disorder. You're just like my uh, friend over here in the corner, just kind of meh, it happens. And we just get so caught up with so many things and so many obligations that there's like no room for us to throw anything else on the pile. And unfortunately, I regret having to do this, but I kind of don't regret having to do this. I'm going to throw one more thing on the pile for you guys. Have you guys thought about taking a rest? And I'm not talking about that tryptophan-inspired nap on the couch after Thanksgiving when you're trying to watch football. I'm talking about a real, actual rest. You know, it's, it's funny how so many of us don't actually take the time to rest. We don't take the time to collect our thoughts. We don't have the time to just process things. Forget about it in the holidays, even in the regular, normal, day-to-day -day lives, when we have all of our stressors and our responsibilities, it's difficult to take that time and just have a proper rest. And in the spirit of what I talked about last time, having that strategic withdrawal from all of the things that are driving us up a wall, Let's talk about rest, specifically a rest that builds us up, a rest that restores us and actually endures through what's going on in our lives. Today, I want to talk about our need for a Sabbath. And I think a lot of us know a little bit of something about a Sabbath. If nothing else, most of us know, all right, it's one of the commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's supposed to be, you know, reserved for God. But I want to reframe it because I think a lot of us can fall into that trap of thinking that the Sabbath has to be some obligation that's usually just fulfilled by going to church on Sunday. And it's not just about an obligation. It's not just about a day going to church. The Sabbath is about more than an obligation that needs to be fulfilled. It's about a true, absolute rest and spending that time with God. So what we're gonna talk about today is kind of reframing our need for a Sabbath rest.
And of course, we want to start out with just a little bit of biblical history, because if we're going to talk about the Sabbath, we got to go back to where it begins. So if we can put these three passages up here, we're going to talk just a little bit about some of the Old Testament passages about the Sabbath. First, we have right in the beginning of Genesis, we're just a full chapter into the Bible, and already we have our first mention of the Sabbath. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So right off the bat, we see how even God values a Sabbath, values a rest. He sets an example for us that we need that time to rest. We see it again in Exodus uh, chapter 16, and this is when the Israelites are getting away from Egypt and they're stuck in the desert and they have no food and God is providing them with food. And God told them, you can go out every day and gather just enough of the manna that I'm giving you for your next day. But on the sixth day, there's a, there's a curveball. And this is where we come to in Exodus chapter 16. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now, every other day that the Israelites gathered manna, it always rotted before the next day. But on that sixth day, it would stay fresh for the next day. The Lord provided for them so they could have that rest. He was emphasizing it, even in their sustenance. And the last one we're going to look at is Deuteronomy 5. This is an expansion of the commandment um, when the Lord is kind of just speaking a little bit more to them. And again, Deuteronomy 5, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Moses is emphasizing what the Lord has told them, that not only you, not only your family, not only your servants, even your animals need a rest. It was such a heavy emphasis throughout the Old Testament that the Sabbath was a day of rest for not doing work, but instead to remember what the Lord had done in their lives. But the problem is that in time, it became about rules. It became about obligations. It became about what you were able to do on the Sabbath and what you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And maybe in a way, some of it may have been well-intentioned to keep them obedient to what God was saying, but it grew to a legalism 
where the Israelites and especially the leaders and the teachers of the law started to lose the whole point of the Sabbath. It stopped being about celebrating what God had done and it started being about the do's and don'ts and the obligations. And that's when we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 12. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you guys, but I know you guys can handle it. We read this earlier and we see the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up on the obligations of the Sabbath, to keep it holy and not do work. They're about to pounce on him for doing work on the Sabbath, for healing someone, for helping someone with an outstretched arm. I just realized it now, even though I was preparing this, even in Deuteronomy, it says with an outstretched arm, what does Jesus do? Tells the guy to stretch out his arm and heals him. God is doing amazing work even on the Sabbath. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's not about the obligations but it's about God doing something good and bringing life into a situation, even if it's unexpected. And even before this, just really quickly, Jesus and the disciples are walking through a grain field and the disciples are just picking the heads of the grain and munching on them. And the Pharisees are getting on top of them for that. They are so focused on the do's and don'ts that they actually miss, even in the letter of the law, if you were a poor person or you were a traveler, you were allowed to do this on the Sabbath. But again, they were so focused on the obligations and the rules and the do's and the don'ts of all of this that they missed the point of the Sabbath, to keep it holy for the Lord, that it was a time to remember who God was and the things that he had done and to give God the space to do something good in their lives. Maybe something out of the ordinary, but definitely something good. And again, for all of us, it's easy to get caught up in those obligations, in those responsibilities, in the work that we have to do. And even sometimes church can become that obligation where we fall into the idea that church is the obligation for keeping the Sabbath holy. You just go to church and that's your obligation and that's enough for keeping the Sabbath holy. That's your rest. I can tell you right now, one hour a week is not real rest. Yes, church is life-giving. It is absolutely life-giving. Things like small group, they are very life-giving, but it's not about an obligation to just spend that time there for the hour or two or whatever during the week, but it's about more than that, especially with church and small group. It's about the life-giving community in it. I mean, just this past Friday, my small group, we went out bowling. Luca is a phenomenal bowler. He's five years old and he was beating the ever-loving bejesus out of me and Sean. It was embarrassing how bad we lost to this kid. And meanwhile, like the obligation that, that's running in the back of my mind is, it's Friday before I'm supposed to preach on Sunday. I should really be working on my sermon. That's what my obligation is. But I drew a heck of a lot more life from being there in that bowling alley, getting beat by a five-year-old with my friends than I would have just sitting at my computer, probably not getting any work on the, on the sermon done anyway. Of course, my arm is killing me, but that is the effect of getting old. Anyway, there's more to it than just the obligations. And again, if we're just looking for that one hour on Sunday saying, that's my, my Sabbath, that's my rest, we're going to miss out on a lot because we need a lot more rest than that. And just to throw one more example about it, have you guys ever heard that, um, that anecdote about how it takes 10,000 hours to become world-class at something? Some of you guys have, some of you guys haven't. All right, cool. Did you know that the study that that's based on, the person who came up with that anecdote actually missed something very important about the original study? 
The studies showed that the people who were putting in those 10,000 hours of practice to become world-class at something, they were practicing deliberate practice, meaning they were only working about four hours a day on their discipline, whatever it was, whether it was creatively, whether it was violin, whether it was music, whatever it was, they spent four hours dedicated hard practice on it. And anything beyond that four hours just contributed to burnout. The rest of their day, they needed rest. If it takes 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to become world-class at something, it has to be accompanied by about 12,000 hours of rest and 30,000 hours of sleep. Rest and sleep, totally different things. So that just goes to show how much we need. And again, if that's true, how can we expect just an hour of church on Sunday to be the rest where we need to deliberately practice our faith, right? So this is the reframing that I wanna do in our need for a Sabbath rest. What do we learn from this? Let's put this point up. The point is that the Sabbath is not about obligation, but an opportunity for something good. It's creating that time and that space for God to do something good and something unexpected in our lives, for him to reach in in those quiet moments of actual rest, when we're not preoccupied with obligation, when we're not preoccupied with work and with duties and with everything else. And I get it. It is tough to try to carve out that time. With all the things that we have going on in life, it is tough to intentionally carve out that time, but it is so necessary that even God did it. Even God took that seventh day to rest. How much more would we need it than God, right? So my question for you guys today, especially in the midst of the busyness of the holiday season and everything going on, are you letting your obligations get in the way of your chance for a rest with God? Now again, I'm doing this in the spirit of the, spirit of the strategic withdrawal. I'm not saying let's get rid of all of our obligations, let's just become bums. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that in the midst of the obligations, we need to intentionally create that space to hear God's voice, maybe in a new way, maybe in a, in a way that we hadn't expected before, something that will sustain us in good and unexpected ways. So what does a good, healthy Sabbath rest look like? We've talked a bunch ad nauseum about the different ways that we can try to connect with God. And I'm not going to go over it again because you guys have your ways of connecting with God. I have my ways of connecting with God. There's all kinds of ways we can do that. Rather than that, I'd rather offer a view of what time spent with God kind of looks like. And we're going to look at Psalm 23. It's written by King David. This is one of those psalms that I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've been a Christian since day one or if you walked in here today as an atheist. You have heard this psalm before. I guarantee it. So let's break it down. Let's break it down just verse by verse and see what David is saying about this kind of rest that he finds with God. So we look at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, David is recognizing that his identity is as the Lord's. He's one that is tended to by the Lord, the same as a shepherd tends 
his sheep. And David knew a little something about this, having been a shepherd before he was a king. That's a heck of a career path to go from shepherd to king, isn't it? But he knew a little something about shepherds tending their sheep. He's recognizing that his every need is fulfilled by the Lord. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Fun fact, did you know that a sheep will absolutely not lay down if it is afraid of anything in the area, if it is not having a good time with its flock, if there are any flies or parasites hanging around it? I mean, like who can actually sleep when you've got that fly buzzing around you in your head, right? Exactly. Or if they're anxious about food and water. If any of those four needs are met, it will not stay put, it will wander off. And that's why sheep are the dumbest people because they keep wandering off because if one of these things is not there, they will try to find those greener pastures. David is saying that God has taken all care of all these things in my life. He's recognizing that these are taken care of and that God is encouraging him to lay down and rest in this place. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. See, David's recognizing that through his relationship with God, he receives guidance and leading. And like a stray sheep, David had plenty of times where he had wandered off and he needed to return to God, where his soul needed to be restored and refreshed from its sin. But he's recognizing that God was the one to restore him to that clean slate to make sure that he was staying on that obedient, that straight and narrow path, that path of peace with him. Verse four, and this is one of the famous ones. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Two things about this verse. First, most people know this verse um, in another translation. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is a scary image right? But it was an image actually that David was well aware of. He had been through that valley of the shadow of death many times. And even when you look at how he words this, he's not saying, even though I have walked, he's saying that even in this moment, when I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. He knows that the Lord is protecting him and covering him that he is secure in that moment with the Lord. And with the rod and the staff, those were two of the shepherd's tools to guide and protect the flock. The staff was kind of the gentle nudge. All right, sheep, come on, move along. You got to go this way. And the rod was used when there were predators around. That was used to protect the flock. And sometimes if the sheep was a little bit rambunctious, sometimes you needed to use the rod to keep them in line as well. It was kind of a twofold thing. But this was what the shepherd used and what David saw God using in his life, both gentle nudging in the right directions and sometimes a little bit more forceful guidance that he needed in order to stay protected. And he valued that guidance from the Lord. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Let me ask you guys something. Have you guys ever tried to eat with someone that would steal from you? I mean, granted, that's a trick question because we steal from each other whenever we eat. But I'm not talking about us because we do it in love. I'm talking about someone that you really don't like, like someone that actually hates you. 
someone that wants bad things to happen to you. How could you ever eat comfortably in a position like that? It doesn't make sense except that, as David is saying, the Lord is preparing this table. He's preparing this bountiful feast in the presence of my enemies where I know I'm still protected and I can still eat. And we're not talking just a little snack. We're talking that stage five full where you have to go get the sweatpants afterwards because you are just so overfilled because you've had such a wonderful meal. That's the kind of protection and peace that David feels in the presence of the Lord. And the last verse, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knows that his future is secure, that there's no lasting anxiety because he knows that he will always have that place, the Lord's house where he can rest and be secure. Even in the moments where there is anxiety, even in the moments where he is walking through that valley of the shadow of death, he still has that peace to know that there is the place where he can rest in God's safe green pastures. So what can we take from all of this about Sabbath rest? When you're in a good Sabbath rest, we know who we are. We know that we lack nothing. We have the perspective that God is the one who's going to take care of our every need. We feel fully secure and able to rest in Him wherever we actually find ourselves, whether it's a good time, whether it's a bad time, whether we're hopefully never walking through a literal valley of the shadow of death. But if we're walking through those times where our obligations and our worries are pounding down on us, when we are at work and we know that jerk coworker just stole our sandwich from the dang fridge, we can still rest in that peace. We don't fear what's going on because we know God is with us. And wherever life takes us, we know that in the Lord's presence, by his gentle or sometimes not so gentle guidance, he will lead us and safeguard us. And even if we don't start our Sabbath rest there, because nobody jumps into a Sabbath rest with all of this taken care of, we move in that direction through that Sabbath rest as God leads us and guides us and comforts us and sustains us. Now again, like I said, the actual method that we go through the Sabbath rest, it really doesn't matter. You guys have your ways, I have my ways. The hallmark of a good Sabbath rest is that connection with God and the peace and guidance that flows from it. My, my example of my most recent Sabbath rest for the first time in probably about eight years, I actually took myself a good long vacation and I went away to Vancouver. We can put these pictures up now. That is from Calipa uh, Capilano River Park up in Vancouver. Vancouver is a beautiful city. It is a phenomenal place. It, the people are friendly. There are mountains in the distance. There is artwork. There is food. There is sports. Whatever you name, whatever you say, it's got it up there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and I fell into some of the obligations of, you know, oh, I got to try this. I got to try that. I got to do this. You know, all those vacationing obligations. But at the same time, it was a Sabbath rest for me. It was a strategic withdrawal. I think it was the first time in I don't even know how many years that I actually missed Sunday service without being like deathly ill. It was just a complete and utter withdrawal and I needed it so badly, but it was beautiful. But at the same time, again, this was my time to connect with God. 
And one of the things that I felt like God was saying was that I am at my best when I get out of my comfort zone, when I challenge myself, when I go someplace that I normally might not go. And honestly, this trip was, was that. I am not the kind of person that just picks up and flies off to a far-flung country by myself. Yes, I know it's Canada. It's not like I was flying to Dubai or anything like that, but humor me, all right? It, it, was, it was a big step for me. I walked into Rogers Arena for a Rangers-Canucks game wearing a Rangers jersey for crying out loud. I was in enemy territory. And yet, Canada, friendly people, they welcomed me. So much that I went back to another game wearing a Canucks jersey. Don't tell Anthony Corvinelli about that. He might take my Rangers fan card. But anyway, getting back to my point here, because I'm, I'm rambling about a wonderful vacation. Capilano River Regional Park is an absolutely beautiful park. And some of the attractions there, some of the things that they're known for is the bridge, the suspension bridge. That bridge is 460 feet long, and it is 230 feet above the canyon floor. And they also have this, the Treetop Adventure, which is a bunch of platforms and rope bridges and whatnot that is set even 100 feet above where the suspension bridge is. Have I mentioned to you guys that I am deathly afraid of heights? Would you put that other picture up, please? That is not me posing for the camera. That is me honestly terrified out of my wits. There is no bigger out of my comfort zone than 200 feet above a valley where I could easily go splat. But made it through, walked across the bridge, walked across the treetop adventure, did not go on the cliff walk, which is another hanging platform below a cliff. I have my limits. But it was me living out what God was saying. That the best of me, the best of life-giving moments is me living outside of my comfort zone and challenging myself. And who'd have thunk it that 200 feet above a canyon would actually be where I found God's green pastures? Unexpected. A little bit terrifying. But good Sabbath rest. So that's what I want to say about Sabbath rest and why we need it, especially in the midst of a busy holiday season. Let's put this point up, please. Sabbath rest restores us, it grows us, and it sustains us. It is that connection with God that shows us who we are, who he's leading us to be, who he's growing us to be. It is the best of who he's calling us to be. And when we're sitting there in those green pastures, we are assured of that. And it's a rest that we take with us where we go from there. I tell you, even though I was jet lagged as all heck coming back from Vancouver, the following week at work, there was not a thing that could bother me. It was just, everything is fine. And if you know me, that's a big step. So anyway, I'm sure I'm not the only one here that feels a lot of pressures in day-to-day -day life. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who has felt those times where I'm spread a little bit thin and obligations and work and everything is just sapping the life away from me. That's why we need a Sabbath rest in God's green pastures. Whatever it looks like, whether it is down in the park, whether it's bowling with friends, whether it's in a far-flung land or whether it's just right down the block or maybe it's just at your desk listening to some music and 
feeling God's presence there, whatever it is, it's in that Sabbath rest that we are restored, that we are renewed, that God restores our soul and builds us up. It's where we are assured of our place in his house all the days of our lives. So as we end the year and as we prepare for the next year, don't you want that guidance, that wisdom, that love, that peace and security that comes from living in God's green pastures, that comes when we go to him for that Sabbath rest? Would you guys please stand with me and let's pray for this as we end this year and as we go into the next. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for each and every person here today and everyone at home watching on YouTube, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would show us the places where you are calling us to your green pastures, where you are calling us to a Sabbath rest that restores and renews, that strengthens us for all the things that will come, but that we will know that we can endure it because you are there with us. You are our strength, our guidance, our good shepherd that tends to our every need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One time I was talking to an investment banker and he told me, um, I'm going to rest when I die. That's when I'll close my eyes and I'm going to rest when I die. Uh, New York is a place where no one sleeps. It's the place where you, the concrete jungle, where people compete, hustle. That's part of why all the neurotic people come to one place in this city. There's a sense of ambition and an angst to feel like you need to be the best and you want to compete with the best. So the message of rest is violent to the city. Because unlike millennials, Gen Z feel like they're already falling, falling behind because of TikTok, right? I mean, they all want to be TikTok influencers. I know some people here want to be TikTok influencers. Uh, but um, in New York, that's how you feel. You're always behind in some type of lifestyle, degree, accomplishment. Um, I should be here by now. I should be here by now. I should have th these many kids by now. Until you have kids, and you know, why do I have these many kids? Uh, or, you know, or I want to accomplish this, or I want to be here, and it never stops. And the, and the problem is, for younger people, it's getting even more difficult. Because I remember 19, what, 88, when I was in uh, Manhattan, there were only like 10, 10 channels, uh, and unless you had cable. And everything went sort of like, staticky after midnight now there are so many options then you have the smartphone you have FOMO you're always in comparison always stimulated by things so the mind never rests today let me tell you briefly 
why the gospel is good news in New York. When you rest, you're saying that God will work. When you sleep, you're saying that God will expand your territory. Not because of what you do, but because what He is doing. It's an upside-down model of trusting Him to take you where your assignment is, where your destiny is, where you need to flourish in your life. And it's a radical message. So today, will you bow your heads with me in prayer? And all the ambivalence you feel living here in the city and all the things that are going through your mind throughout the week. Will you let God carry you? Let's practice that rest right now together as we make this our prayer. Where you just let everything go and say, God, I trust you to work for me. Because the good news of the gospel is that it's not anything more I have to do to establish my identity or even my assignment. The promise of Sabbath is I will do it in you and through you, even when you rest in me. Because that's work as well. Learning to rest in him and trust him. Let's make that our prayer and focus right now. You lead me here. You lead me here to your courts. Surround me with your love. I walk with you. I do Trust in you. And once 
again, I'm right reaching out. And once again, I'm reaching out. In this Father, we come before you this afternoon. Teach us to practice our faith by trusting the promise of the presence of God and the promises of God. God told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I will establish you. I will make your descendants numerous as the stars and the sand. In Genesis 12, the, the Yuan Galleon, the good news is that God will do it. Not Abraham. In the wisdom literature, in scripture. You want an advantage of competition in New York? Here's the secret. Let God work for you and in you and through you and the God of the universe will open doors and close doors that you cannot shut or open I don't know any other better reference than this passage of good news now you won't get the glory, though. Sorry. You can't be like, well, I'm awesome. I'm better than everybody else. No. The testimony in our community will be God is awesome. He's working in me and through me, but I get the joy. So will you bow your heads for the benediction today as we rest And in the practice of Sabbath and the spirit, that's why we have those two weeks off from meeting in the service to give all our workers 
everyone who carries heavy equipment, everyone who preaches, everyone who leads worship, everyone who makes coffee, everyone who cleans up the coffee, and everyone who greets, able to worship from their sofa. <laughs> then you begin to miss church and to miss the people. That's okay. That's the spirit of Jubilee. So bow your heads for the benediction. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. All God's people pray. Amen. God shalom on you and your rest today. Amen.